Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. So, uh, if you're joining us online, or this is your first time with us, or have been with us for a while, even in person, uh, we've been, uh, the last couple of months, going through the book of James. Um, We have been... Uh, walking through the book and reading verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and then discussing them piece by piece. And so today we're actually in James 5, so we're entering the last chapter of the, uh, the book of James, which remember, James is written as a letter uh, to, to the people um, in most likely Jerusalem, or to the, to, to the tribe. So he's writing it to all the Jewish people, essentially. And it's a letter that was passed around from house church to house church, and so they didn't read it as much like chapters, as much as they did, like, um, they would read it in its sort of entirety, or they would kind of, like, go back, like we're doing, and read sections, and they would talk about it, and it would, it would really um, be something that would impact their lives. And so that's what we're doing today, is we're going to be reading in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, and then, uh, and we're just going to talk about it. And that's really what the point of this here is today. Um, so if you guys would open your Bibles to James chapter 5. Uh, We're going to begin reading in verse 1. I'll read it all the way through, and then we'll just kind of go verse by verse, and we'll talk about it as a church, and uh, just believe that God is going to speak to us today um, uh, from His Word. So let's go ahead and read. James chapter 5, verse 1 says, Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Oh, man. Your wealth has rotted, and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat up your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasures in the last days. Look, the pay that you have withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cry out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous, who do not resist you. So that's our passage for the day. It's very light, very airy. You know, it's going to be real comforting and uh, very encouraging for us today. Um, So let's just pray and ask the Lord to really give us wisdom and insight this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've delivered it to us, that it's stood the test of time. We thank you that it still applies to us today, even though uh, we're 2,000 years later. God, we just give you glory. We ask that your word would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would activate whatever you're trying to say to us today, and that we would uh, just be encouraged and challenged by it. Uh, Open our hearts to hear truth uh, today. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's interesting he starts off saying, come now, you rich people. So let's just kind of start with the context here. And this is more of a statement than I think a request for a discussion. You know, my first thought is to think I'm not rich, right? Like, I don't think that I'm rich. But in reality, uh, we are in the richest nation in the world. And we are most definitely in like the, I think, top something like 3% of the entire world's wealth, okay? So we are the richest in the world comparatively to everybody else. So I do think it certainly has to do with us. Um, Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. And then he starts talking about their wealth. He says, your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you. He's talking like in like this sort of, 
transporting us into kind of like a future state, but talking as if it's already happened. You know, so he's kind of like, he says, come now you rich people. So he's talking to those who have wealth, those who have money, those who have um, property and things and all those kinds of things. But he's not saying one day this is going to happen to you. He's speaking as though it has already happened. Um, that's kind of interesting to me because uh, it's almost, it's, it's like a link there. Like it's, it's like a, he's talking as though it's a fact. Like he is aware that, that rich individuals, at least at the time, are certainly not going to change their behaviors. And this is the path that is, that is waiting for them. And so much that it's already happened. Jesus talked like that. You know, Jesus would say things like, um, when he was talking about adultery, for example, Jesus would say something along the lines of, you know, you have heard it said that a man who commits adultery or a man who sleeps with another woman who's not his wife is committing adultery. But I tell you, if you have, um, if you have looked at her lustfully, you've already done it, right? So like there's, there's like that sense of like the motivations in your heart, really, it doesn't matter even if you put the, the hand to the task, it's still like sin regardless. And so he's like, the way that you treat people who, with your money, the way you spend your money, the way you withhold your money, all of those things that he says later, it's like you're already in sin and it's already corroding you and your, your, your life, your soul is forfeited now because of who you are. That's kind of my take on this. Anybody else have any other thoughts about, about that? Come now, you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. So that's, that's kind of like future tense. Like he's saying like it's going to come and then he switches to your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Um, I have something. Go Speak away. <laughs> we hear you clearly. <laughs> rich in money. Um, I think it's also, you know, talking about people who are in a position of power over someone else. So comparatively, um, you, Jared, or say I personally wouldn't be, count myself as rich, <laughs> you know, but um, I do have a position of authority over certain people. And, you know, the way I utilize that um, is, is, is I'm going to be taken to task sooner rather than later. You know, and I think that that's not necessarily the only thing that they're talking about there, but, you know, we're, we're rich in authority, we're rich in uh, influence, and that's something that, you know, has to be, you know, monitored, I guess, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, he is, he's, it's obviously a warning. So again, we've done this the last couple of weeks. The heading at the top of my passage says warning to the rich. That's what mine says. What is, uh, others, we've had some different ones. What is, do we have uh, different headings from others in the room? So mine says warning to the rich, but then I also, I always like to pull up the message too, just for context here. And, it, and this one says destroying your life from within. Destroying your life from within. Okay. That's useful. Yeah. Well, I mean, this passage is definitely not, uh, not light. I mean, he talks about um, your gold and your silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You know, like, basically, I mean, he's talking about money. The money that you have will destroy you from within or is destroying you from within the way that you're using it. 
Jesus said that it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a, of a needle. You know, so like really tiny, right? How could a camel get through there? And so Jesus had very strong words about money, right? About wealth. The rich young ruler was an example. It was a, a man who came and talked to him and he'd followed all the commandments. He did all the things and Jesus told him to go and sell all of his stuff. But the guy wouldn't do it and walked away weeping and sad because he had very much, it said. And so again, Jesus is like, you know, I'm telling you, having money is, is you know, having a lot of money is, uh, is it's, it's, it's difficult to, and then he basically said, you can't serve two masters, and money tends to become the master. And you don't know, like, I, I can't quite recall, I heard once about uh, what Jesus said about the camel, and then I was in Europe, and it, it, it's a gate, and the actual camel, it's like, it's a place that is called like this, and it, for a camel to go through it, they would need to bend their knees, and apparently, I don't know anything of camels, but apparently it's hard for them and painful. So for me, it's kind of nice picture. I don't know how... how Are you talking I about the camel gate? Is that what you mean? Or the eye of a needle. The eye of a needle? There was a, like a, a place. A geographical feature. Yeah. Like in Jerusalem? I'm not aware of that. Yeah. yeah. No. So, so, so basically when camel were going like through it, they apparently... Do you know anything about that? Vaguely. Not, yeah, not so they apparently you needed just to kind of like... Really, like, it doesn't make any sense. Why would they make a gate so small? Yeah, so, <laughs> so, maybe so, they can't, so they can't leave. Mm -hmm. well, that's, so I think that's the whole metaphor. It was not meant for camels. So if you, if you have hindrance by your will, it's mm -hmm. not meant for you to squeeze through that to be right. with all this baggage with you. Well, and Jesus talks about similar, right? Like the narrow gate and the wide <laughs> gate, right? The same right. kind of thing. The idea of like that there's definitely not, like there's a certain criteria that is designed for the kingdom of God and all of these other things will keep you away from it. Yeah. You know. and, and I think that if I remember correctly that, 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 that piece is also about the fact that they would unload the camels before they would let them squeeze through. So you, you, know, you brought all the goods to the city but you have to leave them outside so you can go through. Hmm. And that's why the metaphor is really catching up with what people were saying. That's really interesting. I'll have to look into that. I have not heard that before. So that would be, that would certainly add a lot to the metaphor in that. That's great. Awesome. Um, okay, so let's talk about the rest of it. So your gold and silver are corroded. And then he talks about uh, the way that they treated their, be they, the way that they treated the people with their money. So he says, verse four, look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields, that cries out. The outcry of the harvesters had reached the ears of the Lord of armies. And then he says, you have lived luxuriously on earth. You've indulged yourselves. You have eaten up. You've like fattened yourself. You've gotten fat off of all of the stuff that you have that you can purchase in the day of slaughter. And then he says that you've condemned, you've murdered the righteous who do not resist you. So like he seems to be talking to me anyway. I'm thinking he seems to be talking about like, like, like Claire was saying, the, who has the authority, the people you have authority over, people who work for you, people who rely on you, um, that the way that you treat them uh, has to do with how you are viewed by God. But I think I'm having a little bit of a disconnect personally, and I think, and I'm wondering if maybe in the room we are as well, because none of us consider ourselves, we're not murderers, you know, we're not... 
Um, you know, we've not murdered the righteous. You know, we don't have people that we have like withheld things from, like, which was pretty common. I mean, Jesus told stories about that, about, you know, um, uh, field, field workers, you know, who, who were killed by their masters, you know, and this was not uncommon. You would have people who would lord over, they would have slaves and, you know, and it was, it was not uncommon for the rich, the people who had money and who had power to, to essentially hold it all to themselves and everybody else were peasants. Like this was not uncommon. It's a little bit different here now because wealth is more, more distributed, you know, in our, in our country. So, you know, generally speaking, everyone has, most people have access to be able to kind of run their own life, have their own home and not have to really worry about it. So I feel like to me, there's a little bit of a disconnect culturally, but I, I want to talk practically about this passage. Like what is James trying to say to us about money and about authority and about power and the way that we wield, the way that we, the way that we wield our resources? I think it's, I think that's where we need to like live today in, in this passage. Um, you know, if, 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 like maybe being a boss, perhaps. That's something that comes to my mind. If you're a boss and you want to give yourself more uh, of a bonus so you don't ever give your staff raises, for example, that would be an example maybe of withholding pay. That's an example. Anybody in the room have a problem with that? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, we have individuals who feel like that's frustrating. Yeah, Ted, do you want to say something? Yeah. There's um, a new HBO movie about that coming out, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so with this, you know, it just kind of like we, when we read this, this passage, um, Behold the wages of the laborers who mount your fields, which you kept back by fraud, by crying out against you. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Joe can probably help me with this, you know, with the food passages, but like, and you just keep coming to this passage, like, the, I think it's one of the Gospels, that the innocent blood is crying. No, that's that's uh, that's Abel, right? Yeah, yeah the innocent yeah. blood is crying. So so I think this is going all the way back to the Eden, or just up the Eden. With Cain and Abel. Where, yeah, you might think you can do whatever because of your power, authority, wealth. Um, but you're still subject to God. Like, your wealth is not setting you aside or separate from this. Mm. A reckoning will come one day. So like on the chapter 4, he was, I think, remember we talked last week about like living, hey, I got this from this point on, I got this, I don't need you, God. Mm. Uh, because things are getting good, I, I'm fine, I'm good. But I think this is even to taking it to the next level, like, hey, I got all the power, I got all the money, I'm, I'm having a good life, I don't need you, God, so stay away from my life, it's like, you know, instead of. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so whenever you're wealthy, and especially if you're a 
attached to that, then, then this is where your heart is, and it's really hard to store up presence and have energy released on that. And eventually that's what will last, and every, everything will pass. So, mm. so um, it kind of comes to mind. Which even the language that he used, like he said, where you know, store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, right? And he's using kind of similar language here by corrosion. Your gold, he says, your wealth has rotted. This is verse 2. Your wealth has rotted. So Jesus was saying, store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy. He's saying, your wealth, you're storing it here, has rotted. Your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you. You have stored up treasure in the last days rather than use it, I guess. And then he says down here, like, in a day of slaughter. So, like, again, he is talking about, you know, there's end time theology here that we don't have a lot of time to get into specifically because it's very complex. But these guys believe that Jesus was coming. Like, they believed he was coming back, like, tomorrow, you know, like, soon, very quickly. And so they had a mission to do. They had a job to do. And so they're like... Looking at the guys over here, Christian or not, who have money. I'm sorry? Yeah, he is specifically speaking to Christians. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's completely feasible that in this passage, he's kind of like not calling out specific named people, but Christians, people who at least call themselves Christians, who are wealthy and, uh, and are acting in this way. And he's saying, Jesus is going to return in like two weeks, maybe. Right. And you are going like on vacation to Boca Raton every day and you storing up your wealth. You're buying houses. You know, your people aren't even getting paid. They're living in poverty. Like he's that's essentially what he's saying. It's like your focus is like is completely wrong. They're storing up these treasures. Now, here we are. Right. Two thousand years later, Jesus has still not returned. You know, some people think it's imminent. Others would say, well, I don't know. So it doesn't matter. Like, we'll just, you know, continue to focus on what Christ has called us to do. But the point of the matter is, is that 2,000 years have gone by. It did not add up to what they thought it would and were immediately, right? How does this message apply to us today, though? Like, I'm not a landowner that has, you know, all sorts, and I don't have all these people kind of relying on me. But if, if there's any, you know, business owners, or if you're a supervisor at a, at a workplace, um, if you are better off than poverty, you have money that you can kind of discretionarily spend around at times. Like, how does this passage speak to us today about the way that we use our money, the way we store our money? Is it wrong to have a retirement plan? Like, is it wrong to save up for things? Or is it talking about something else? Like, that's what I want to talk about. I think that's where I think it lives for us today is like, how are we using our money. I think it's just, it, you know, it's encouraging. It's, it's a warning to us, and even though none of us can really apply to it because I you know, don't have millions and billions of dollars, but, you know, what I do have, how am I using it? What am I using it for? Am I so focused on, you know, the next biggest and best thing that I've lost sight of what I do have and how I can use that to help others, how I can use that to glorify God? If I, and if, 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 I'm constantly worried about the next pay raise or, you know, I need to save, save, save for me. And then if I, and we've talked about this before we change, if I see someone in need and I'm so selfishly holding on to what I have, then what good is that? So now I'm becoming rotten on the inside because I'm so focused on how I can help myself 
and not how I can take what God's blessed me with. Maybe it's not millions of dollars, but I have a house and I have food and I can have people over and I can, you know, make a meal for someone. Or, you know, if I see a homeless person, I can, you know, offer them food or offer them a couple dollars or something. It's, I think it's just, you know, what we have, even if it's not rich in money, we are rich in other things that we can share. And we have to be careful, you know, like Alona said, it's a matter of the heart. Where is our heart? What, what are we using our resources for? And how can we, you know, reflect God in that? I can share um, a personal story. It's like for me, as I said, want to save for a retirement fund or something. Well, um, so actually I have two stories. One story is that we, we are one income family. And because of that, I depend totally on, on his income. So I have some people asking, well, don't you feel insecure? Because if he dies if in the future, you, you won't have any security yourself, kind of. You don't accumulate it. And I say, well, I kind of, if you put it that way, yes. But, you know, it's like we feel what God told us to do right at, at the moment. That we should, like, he's, like, I pray to God a lot. Like, God, what should I do? Like, what do you have for me? And I, and he was saying, um, read my word and teach your children. And I'm like, great, but for later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great, but what about later? <laughs> and I just get that. So, you know, that's one kind of example. Uh, uh, but but um, little, maybe better one, because it, 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 it's better result. It's like when uh, he lost job, we didn't have insurance. And for me, like, first when he lost job, it was hard, but it hit me just when, when we lost insurance. I just, mm -hmm. I felt like the ground is, I, I'm just losing ground uh, under my feet, you know? And that time, enemy was really, really, like, challenging we, me with thoughts of cancer and, and disease. And, mm -hmm. like, like, I started to look at myself, basically, you know, and trying to see, like, every, every different disease had, and yeah. every problem. And, like, uh, and I was really stressed that we don't have insurance, especially that coming from Europe, it really never happens because the insurance is provided to you. If you're unemployed, you have insurance. If you're employed, you have insurance. doesn't matter. A everyone has insurance. Right. So, so it's just in my mind, like something so just hard to comprehend. How is it that you don't have insurance? And, and God spoke to me that time and he said, Aren't I a healer? Even if you, if you, even even if you have a doctor, if you have insurance, we go to doctor, isn't it that medicine is limited? Mm -hmm. You know that might not there might not be a cure. Isn't it like I'm a perfect healer? You know. So uh, and it does not mean that I'm um, right away like thinking okay, and we don't need insurance, none of us because. <laughs> Uh, I don't think it's anything wrong, but still, I think the mindset that you depend on your insurance yep. instead of depending on God. And eventually, if it's your time, then you to go home, you know, then it's your time to go home. And, and unless it's the enemy that really wants to steal from you your time. But, um, but it just was very um, interesting just to kind of switch it. And, and I basically had to pray that into my fear hmm. constantly that no, I'm not um, my master and it's not like what is controlling my life is not the insurance and circumstances what 
who is controlling my life is right. right. Yeah, that's a really good point because I think that kind of roundabout answers the question that I was asking in that he's calling out, and, and we'll kind of also mention Jesus and what he said about it too because they're very related, but James here is calling out the, the person who has wealth and not saying that because they're wealthy, it's sin, but what they're doing with it, that's the sin. That, that they're saving and storing in a time of slaughter or that they're withholding wages or all of those types of things. And then later, Jesus, or earlier, Jesus said, told the same story of the man who built all the barns to store all his money. And then his barn got completely full. So he built another barn, a bigger barn, so that he could store even more money. And then and then God says, you fool, you're going to be dead tonight. Like, so you had all of this, right? What's the common denominator there? To me, it's, it's that you have so much and you're storing so much at the expense of other more important things. So like when I asked the question about retirement, or like you said, with insurance, like is insurance bad? No, you're, you're, you're trusting in, or going to the doctor and the medicine. Like you're going and trusting in that God has given uh, the, the human capacity for understanding medicine and that's wonderful. But if you trust in a doctor more than you trust God's healing capabilities, then that's a problem. If I trust my paycheck and my savings account and my insurance and my retirement plan more than if I lost all of it that God would still provide for me, then that's a problem. If I'm saving up money, and I'm saving it, and that it's good to save, you know, to have money to take care of it. That's wisdom. That's good stewardship. But if I save more than I need, and I see a need out there that someone could need help with, or they need, need assistance, and I refuse to give it, even though I have it, am I withholding wages, if you will? That's kind of how I'm interpreting it. What do you guys think? Anybody online have anything that, that they want to say? We can all see you very clearly now on our TV. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. Anybody online look like you guys wanted to speak? I just, this just reminds me of Ruth a lot. Because I love the, and I think this ties directly to what you said, but how Boaz had, or, you know, this was a law of the land of Israel, but, like, there were gleaning laws. So he intentionally left some for the poor people, and right. this included Ruth, to go and glean. And I, I love that model. Because I think it ties directly into what you're saying, where it's like, so Boaz wasn't looking at all of his property and all of the things that he could harvest as something that he could add to his own profit, but he was seeing the other people first. And then I also, I, I wish we had more models of to be able to give to the poor in a way that they could feel like they could work to gain it as well. Mm. Um, that's, that's just a side note, but that's what it reminds me of. So just for context, in case anybody isn't really um, know exactly what she's talking about, Ruth is a book in the Old Testament. In the law of the Old Testament, uh, God gave to his people that said, when you harvest, don't harvest your plants or your crops all the way at the edges. Like, don't take all of it. So if you have 100% of crop you know, area, don't harvest all of it. Leave, leave whatever falls to the ground and leave the edges for people who are in poverty or individuals who don't have, right? So that's what she's mentioning. So in the story of Ruth, um, Boaz has individuals who he just leaves it there. And, and then to your second point, um, he actually does that with her. He says, you go out there and do it. And that's kind of like your earnings. Like that's your pay. It's like you can work for this, but it's going to be there for you. So what would that be like in our 
space. And Joe, maybe this ties into what you want to say, maybe not. And if you want, you can kind of insert here. But like, what would it be like for us to, to set our money in that way? For us to say, God, you've given me this. And of the 100% of the income that you've given me, I'm not going to harvest, use 100% of it. What would that be like for us? And I don't think that he's talking about the tithe here either because the tithe was separate from this. So they would bring the first fruits of their crops to the temple. So he's talking about, you know, he would tithe, I, think, I guess, that, never mind, I'm not even going to go with that. It's a whole different thing. But like, but the idea of there's leaving margin or room in our budgets, in our income, what would that be like if we did that? How could that change the way that we, the way that we viewed uh, our resources my first thought is, first of all, that would, it would challenge my bills because I would say my budget is built on, you know, dollar for dollar, every bit of what I have, whether it's savings or spending or bills and all those kinds of things. So I would have to rethink all of it, which I think is kind of the point here, right? Joe, what did you want to say? Um, so, so actually <laughs> nothing about, about finances, but I'll, I'll just respond <clears throat> to that point for a moment of, of this, the, what you're saying of margin gives the, the opportunity to just be very generous. Right. To say, oh, here's a person that has need. Well, I've got an extra thousand dollars that I can just right. you know, plop down. But but really um, what I want to say was looking at these verses, I'm you know, there, there's the financial point of view in these verses, but I'm actually looking at it from a different point of view and I'm really picking up on that because there's a victim here. There are victims mm-hmm. and there's a lot of talk about victims. So I'm viewing these verses from the framework of justice. Okay. In these verses you have you have an oppressor and you have or you have oppressors and you have victims and you have the promise of justice. And, and so I'm not sure if, if the teaching is so much more about money per se, but don't oppress people with your money yep. is what I, what, I, what I see here. And in such, I see it in vain of other things that maybe Jesus had said against oppressors that didn't have anything to do with money, like in Matthew 23 when he's speaking against the Pharisees and the mm-hmm. religious leaders. And really what I'm looking at is what we've been talking about, what is the message to those who have money? But even here in James, what's the message to the oppressed people, those laborers that are going without wages, as they hear James rebuking you know, the, the wealthy? You know, and, and when you're an oppressed person and you hear you know, Jesus or an apostle rebuking your oppressor and saying, hey, you know, judgment is coming upon you, Jesus is going to come back, there is, there is that, that sense of security. It's like, ah, I don't need to worry. Well, Jesus is going to get justice for me. I'm, go- mm-hmm. I'm going to be. And therefore, it's not mine to get. I don't, I don't have the right to take it. God will be my judge. Yeah, he's my... much more angry than I am. So here's, here's where, where I really want to get, and I thank you for bringing that up, because I don't think we ever look at ourselves as the oppressors in Scripture. I think we always see ourselves as the good guys. When we read the scriptures, oftentimes we, we identify with, with the people who end up in the good place. But I think that, that there is a real opportunity for us here to look at ourselves as the oppressors and, and, and or to at least ask the question of how are we oppressors in, in our finances if we want to stick into that thread, okay? Like, so let me just kind of like paint what I'm trying to say, and I'm not sure if it's clear or not, but... We're doing a lot of talking in our society right now about like with the whole Black Lives Matters concept and racism. And then the idea of privilege comes up, right, which is brings a whole lot of 
a whole lot of, uh, of division and argument all over our nation, right? Um, the idea of, from James, I want to really center it on the scripture here, but to what Joe is saying about the idea of oppression and injustice, like how much of how we spend our money, even if it's indirectly contributes to oppression of other people, is there a point in which, and this is very much like I recognize that like asking this question gets real close to like to uncomfortable spaces, but does the way that I spend my money and the way God looks at it from his perspective, not mine, does he see me as being a contributor to oppression? When I go to Starbucks and I spend $5 on my pumpkin spice latte, I don't, my wife does. <laughs> I like the cold brew, I like the cold brew pumpkin foam, okay? But regardless, if I spend $5 at Starbucks, right? And collectively, as a society, millions and millions of dollars into pumpkin spice lattes every day, right? Is there a point in which, because of the way we're spending our money on a luxury versus putting our money into a program that could help or provide food or anything, just stick with me here, right? Does God see that as you are part of the problem? I mean, in any number of ways. I mean, think of it. It's not just Starbucks. It's the TV on my wall. It's the house that I've purchased. It's the clothes that I'm wearing, which there's a fine line, of course, between necessary and, and okay and, you know, luxurious or excessive. So, like, someone could walk into my house and say, you live in good, Jared, you know, and I don't think you should have all this stuff because as a Christian, we should not have any of these things. Some people could say that, you know. And I never recognize that it's a line. Like there's a threshold somewhere and who knows what God's ultimate perspective is on this. But I think what we're getting here from what Joe is saying. Yeah. Sorry. It's, everyone's like bouncing so quickly. So I, just, I have something to say. Yeah. So I'll just stop there. Go ahead. No, I just, I, it doesn't, I don't know that it necessarily, I don't even know if you asked the question, but um, eh, so, so <laughs> something that really helped me in this is that um, in, I, I try to think of it of a mindset of intentional spending. Like, I have, I'm, we're very lucky, very blessed to have two solid incomes that we're going to have a little bit of flex income and we are very heavy budgeters. So in our house, we have money left over that goes into savings. I work in sales, so I've, it's flexible, constantly flexing. I have really great months, I have really awful months and that's where that concept of saving came in and being a good steward of my money. Intentional spending is really important in our house because I, especially when it came up to Black Lives Matter, and that's what you had mentioned earlier and got me thinking, is that when all of that happened, I started researching black-owned businesses because I don't think the problem is that I am spending $5 at Starbucks, but as a collective society, if we're all spending $5 at Starbucks, that's going into a multi-billion dollar corporation that is white-owned, you know, already successful. Not that there's any problem with it. We all know I love my pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that and without going into the rabbit hole of this, there is m so minimal funding that goes into black-owned businesses, right, as an example, that they're already living and starting businesses under oppression that don't have the privilege of blah, blah, blah. So when all of this happened, I started researching black-owned businesses that I could redirect my finances to, that I could say, okay, we want pizza this week. My normal pizza spot is this, which is convenient, which is whatever. Let's start researching black-owned pizza places, black owned ice cream shops, black owned this, black owned that, because that was an area on our heart that we felt was really important to redirect and be intentional about our spending. And I feel like that applies mm -hmm. 
to just spending in general. And it's, we do that a lot. Like I, I budget monthly to, to give to an organization or a cause. I'm really big into human trafficking awareness. So on a monthly basis, I try to donate money out of that. So all that to say, it doesn't necessarily answer a question, but I think Well, I see it as you're doing the margin thing. Like that's the idea is I have 100% of my income, but I'm gonna take the edges of my field and leave it for a space in which I can allow there to be opportunity to be able to give to things yeah. which, do you feel like that helps you become less the oppressor? So I, it makes me A, more, more aware, more, it's making me question what am I spending my money on? Is it helping someone or is it just helping me? Because mm. a lot of the most convenient, easy ways to buy anything are going to be convenient and selfish. <laughs> and probably in the end are benefiting more like big business rather than small business and you know oppression and all that stuff so it does help me be more self-aware and it also makes i it the word intentional really sticks out to me because like i'm i love the kind of businesses that that um, i don't know what they're called like philanthropic philanthropic yeah like where i am i'm serving a need that i have or a want that i need a want that i have but I am helping someone else in the process. I'm buying shoes, I'm giving shoes. I'm, you know, I'm buying this bracelet or buying these groceries and 30% of it goes to, you know, meals for, for children. I try so hard to be intentional because I'm, I need things in my life and I want things in my life and I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is, is that if I'm just blindly buying and blindly spending I don't, where's my money going? Who am I supporting? And indirectly, I probably am supporting something that I'm... And maybe becoming more the oppressor than you think. Absolutely. Um, I, yeah. I have, like, with these different enhancements. So, like, you, uh, just to show, um, like, a little bit different point of view here, what, I, what I came to my mind is just, as James is generally talking a lot in different chapters about our heart and... Uh, and about eventually kingdom of God, like um, um, if we kind of connected to the sermon uh, on the mountain, and um, and I was thinking that actually for many people, including myself, for a long time when I was thinking about God's kingdom being manifested, I was thinking a lot about miracles or healing or some things like that. But bringing justice or serving to the poor is also, you know, bringing kingdom of God or the kingdom of God manifesting on earth. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of a, not like a perspective, good, good perspective to, to have too, that it's just much, much more than just, just taking uh, care of others. It's much more. And I, and I think there is one more point if, if we like, think um, we can think about ourselves when we don't how we use our money might actually lead to a sin not only on our end but on somebody else's end for example somebody poor um, or in need might start to steal for example mm -hmm. so I think it's kind of interesting uh, interesting way to think about it and we had a personal story, like we have a friend who does what you said, she is putting aside from their budget, and they're living from one salary too, mm -hmm. and they're putting every month uh, a money aside, 
for to help the body of Christ in need. So it's not uh, the money they give to missionaries, but it's not something that they would give regular. It's just like a, yeah. a, a, a special account. So um, when we didn't have job, they came to us and helped us, and they knew that we have friends who are in the same situation. They, in general, during, during COVID, they were using these resources. And they would only say and ask, is this person your brother? Like, do you consider this person your brother? They wouldn't even know a person. And they would give, for example, $800, just like that. Mm-hmm. Or they would ask, what would be the, actually the, the, the money that would make a difference? And they were just saving the money for, for a while, so uh, uh, um, because there was no need around. So sure. now they were using it. But also, like, I went to her, like, I, I started to ask her because I felt like she has much more wisdom about finances and, and about using some... Uh, like s- how she approaches some things. And that time we were in a situation when we had friends who were owing us um, a significant sum of money because they were in a need few times in their life and they asked to borrow money and we borrowed money. And that actually, at the time we didn't have a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, like we were kind of hoping to get money back. <laughs> right. But at the same time, after what happened and these conversations, I realized when you borrow somebody a money, it's actually putting a burden and a strain right. on them that is getting tighter and tighter and tighter. Right. And it actually can lead to a sin. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, something that I thought is a nice thing, I borrowed money to somebody, <laughs> is actually kind of in, in terms of... It's kind of putting them in a trap, ungodly, if you will. ungodly thing. Right. You know? So... Uh, so that time we kind of dis- decided that we just cancel the debt, hmm. and and because it frees us yeah. from waiting for something and being maybe resentful, and it frees them from uh, just having the constant pressure that not not only they have don't have even now, but they constantly have grown debt. So so I think from this side, even having good intentions, we can turn into oppressor, mm. but for having good intentions, we can lead somebody to sin. And I think that's kind of a perspective to, that is good to have uh, when managing finances. Yeah. I think it's a great point, and it brings us back to where we can summarize, I think, and kind of close out our discussion today, is James all along is calling us to that wider perspective of, like you said, the kingdom of God, Um, our allegiances, our motivations, our heart, where everything comes from, you know, and so, you know, he starts right off by addressing people who have wealth, and then he starts talking future tense as though it's already happened, right? So he's like, he's saying that the things that we do now matter, and I think you said that in the beginning, Tad, is like, it will catch up to you. You can't say, I don't care about God, I don't think about this, because one day there will be a reckoning for it. One day, like, like there is no getting away from it, that, that ultimately, which is what he's trying to get us at. I mean, this passage is very much about money and the way that they use it. And then to Joe's point, it is very much about, about people in authority. And even Claire said in the beginning, people who have authority over and how you treat them. So it definitely can be turned into money, but also any other area of life and how we treat people and the, and the resources that we have which then comes back to why do we do what we do? How do we choose to honor God through it? Are we harming people or only for ourselves? He uses a lot of language about you store up treasures on earth. You're fattening yourself, right? Like, but there's other passages where the apostle says like, I, he says, I have lived times where I've had plenty. 
So like, you know, he's having dinner in like the governor's house. You know, there's lots of good food there, you know? So like, like there are moments. So it's not that he's saying like having a good job and a good amount of money is a problem. That's not the problem. It's what you do with it and who you become in that space and whether it controls you and who, and who your master is. And so I really feel like, you know, this is a really good discussion, but the question I think to walk away for each one of us, myself included, is I think maybe a very practical thing that each of us can do is looking at our budget. And for those of you who don't have a budget, I'm going to tell you right now, put yourself on a budget. Um, who was it? It was either John Maxwell or, D- or Dave, uh, Gordon Ramsay, Dave Ramsay, <laughs> who says, who says a budget tells your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. And that allows you to start being a good steward of what God has provided for you. But once you have a budget, look at it and say, God, and ask the Holy Spirit. We said this song today, Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place, right? So what if we were to say, Holy Spirit, I welcome you into my budgeting process. And you said, God, like, this is the money that I make. This is the bills that we have, some of which are not able to be removed, like a mortgage or whatever. Show me how you want me to spend my money. And what would it look like if we were to take the model from the Old Testament and we were to build margin around our field to leave space for that? What would that look like? And then ask God to show you what he would do with it. I, if we just started there, I really believe, like that's the call for me is to think through my personal finances in a way, because I love to spend money. I'll just be honest with you guys. I love spending money. Heather laughs at me all the time. She's always like, Jared, like when we talk about money, there's always something you want. And it makes it so much easier today because everything is subscription services and it's so easy to just bite-sized chunks of everything. Like it's so easy. But here's the thing. It's like, I don't think there's a problem with having those things, but I feel like God is saying to me and maybe to you guys in the room here is, is like, are you leaving margin? Are you inadvertently being an oppressor to other people or at, or at a, at a, uh, at a minimum indirectly withholding something that I would like for you to use on other people, but you're not even asking me and listening to me when I, to give you the opportunity. Perhaps that's what he's asking each of us today. And so that's really what I want to just kind of like, you know, center this on today. Just ask God how he would have you use your own, your own resources that he has provided to you in such a way that it doesn't just benefit you, but also leaves room for him to, to use for other people. Let's close uh, our time in, in prayer, and then we'll just kind of close out with our needs uh, prayers this, this morning. God, we love you, and we thank you for this, uh, for this discussion, this word. Um, it's challenging. It's really hard because, because uh, you know, money, you, you said it yourself, you know, that it, it's just, it traps us, and it so easily becomes a master, and it, um, and it reaches into every area of our life. You know, we want to protect it. You know, any decisions we make are to keep it. Um, and we want to provide security and insurance, all those kinds of things. And so it, it really, before we even know it, we maybe even be far away from how you would intend us to spend our money. And we know that this is not just about money, but that's such a tangible uh, space. You know, it's, it's right there in the forefront uh, in, our, in our lives. So we just ask that each one of us today, as we leave here, that your spirit, we welcomed you here. And now we ask that as we have welcomed you, that you would speak to us. Now, long after we leave here throughout the day and throughout this week, that we would, um, that your spirit would, would continue to like ping us with, with just 
um, insights about what you want us to do with our money. I pray that you would challenge each one of us to consider how we um, can leave margin, how we could maybe even, some of us, you may be asking us to re-revolutionize the way we do our money altogether. For some of us, just say, just get on a budget because you're wasting money, so much money. I don't know, whatever it is, but God, challenge us, make it clear to each of us, and may we be willing to hear what you would say to us so that we would put the effort in um, so that we can be people who are not the oppressor, but instead we're the ones who are breaking those systems, so that we are the ones who are using what you've given us in generous ways and loving people and, and building connections rather than pushing people down, even if we don't intend to. I thank you for how you continually challenge us and you're growing us, and we, we thank you for it. Thank you for every person in the room today who spoke, uh, who gave their thoughts and, and, uh, and really contributed to this. And we just ask that you would um, continue to speak to us long after we're gone from here. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.